This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 629 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, and your head number one for this evening. And my name is Matt Baum, with a correction from last week's show here. Joe announced that you all tune in to hear him, while one loyal listener wrote in to tell me that they tune in to listen to me, and they thought several others did the same. So I guess that settles that. Was it your mom? No, it was not my mother, all right? It's time for another Cosmic Longbox episode where we dig into comics of the past based on a theme chosen for us by our ancient, cosmically empowered Longbox we discovered in the same caverns shared by the ziggurat we broadcast from. So make sure your containment suits are sealed because we're about to be flung through time and space to see what happens when celebrities create comics. Comic nerds come in all shapes and sizes, and some of them even happen to be famous peeps. You may have seen on stage, you may have seen them on TV, or even in the movies, well, every now and then, someone gets the brilliant idea that one of these celebrities should make their own comic book, or pop in to write an issue or two of your favorite monthly. Sometimes it's great, but most of the time, well, you'll see, because today's Cosmic Longbox theme is Celebrity Creators, and I can't think of anyone more famous than the internet's Joe Patrick to kick us off. Who boy, buckle up everybody. Warrior number one from Ultimate Creations. The year was 1996. Get folked, kids. That's short for focused. You'll you'd know it if you read it. Yeah. It's the Ultimate Warrior. That's right. The legendary WWF superstar created his own comic series in 1996 alongside artist Jim Callahan. And I'll be damned if I can tell you what it's actually about. This comic reads like a pamphlet someone would hand you if they were trying to recruit you into a cult. Warrior is either walking some sort of path to enlightenment or evolving into a higher being or dreaming of all of this while he lays comatose in a hospital bed. Perhaps it's all three. All I know for sure is that he starts off impressively muscled but quickly becomes freakishly bulbous. He meets God or his dad or both, fights lizard monsters, and he makes the iconic warrior mask uh, by carving the sigil into their skin to complete his transformation. Why? I don't know. There's also a cyborg with a sweet flat top who's watching all of this go down for some reason, but we don't really hear anything from him in this issue. Sorry, cable fans. Warrior is desperately trying to educate readers about his philosophy of, and just trust me on this, it's Destrucity. Yeah, he's, he phonetically spelled it out. There's a you. phonetic pronunciation <laughs> in the book. It's dis, it's D-E-S-T-R-U-C-I-T-Y. Destructity. But it's pronounced Destrucity. Destrucity. Uh, Destrucity. And the very deep lore that goes with it. Uh, I don't think I've ever read a comic with its head so far up its own ass before. The art is bad, but it's 90s Lifefeldian bad. So, you know, 
whatever. There's that. It's way worse than anything we've seen from Lee Fields output. No, 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 no. I like felt the end and not, yeah. li- not specifically Rob. No, no, like, I'm, no. I'm it, saying it's worse than any of his worst output. I would argue. Look, I hate to speak ill of the dead warrior. His legal name passed away in 2014, just days after being inducted into the WWE hall of fame. It was creepy too. He had like a really prescient like thing that he said at the hall of fame and he was oh, dead wow. two days later. Super creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like literally the night before he died, he appeared on Monday night raw. Like no, it was a surprise. Well, that's a hall uh, of fame thing. They do. They do it then. Monday night. Very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but warrior number one is one of the worst comic books I have ever read. And that is saying a lot because I have read a lot of comic books. Uh, I'm giving this a leave it. It's very bad. I don't know if you can qualify this as a comic book. It, it's more of like, it is. Te- it is technically a comic book. I mean, technically, I guess, but it's more yeah. of like a personal diatribe almost like this reminded me of Dianetics. If L. Ron Hubbard was snorting like pure steroids and writing, there is no story. There, there's a forward that lays out the idea of distrucity yeah, four text pieces and three, three text pieces in the book and the power of belief. And it repeats it over and over again in different bizarre ways that almost make no sense. Then they draw a sequence, a series of pictures with ideas taken directly from the forward, put into word bubbles and thought bubbles and narration. And then if that wasn't enough, there's another think piece in the end that lays out what you just read as well, including made yeah. up words like folked, which is the word that the warrior uses to get focused, focused and yeah, distrucity, yep. <laughs> distrucity. Yeah, this is uh, completely bizarre. And anybody yeah. who remembers the ultimate warrior in wrestling remembers like those weird uh, pieces. He would do this warrior wisdom where he would go off in these weird tangents now we all know this was all part of it. It was all part of the guy and it, and it brings it all into focus. This is beyond bizarre. And someday an alien race is going to find this. And I'm afraid that they're going to think it started a religion. I cannot give this a bigger leave it. We don't know that it didn't <laughs> to be fair. It was exhausting. <laughs> to it read. was and, and not like not only not only is it indecipherable, it's also long yes it, like it feels like it takes an eternity Cra- to read this felt like 56 pages it's crazy long and literally nothing happens there's a part where he's born yeah. in a volcano for some reason or he appears yeah, in a he's volcano he's evolving he's evolving into his warrior self and then he lays there for a year <laughs> just, yeah just thinking <laughs> right and then yeah and then there's you know he becomes bulbous and he fights lizards man uh, it was wow i just Wow. <laughs> my, my favorite thing, my favorite thing, not about the, about the issue, but uh, about the text is how um, he treats these common words that he's saying as though they are proper nouns, like right. uh, the, like the belief of self or whatever the fuck it is like. And it's like belief is capital B. Why, yeah. why is it capital B? And then there's one where it's like, uh, that's cause how, that's how he would speak where he'd be yeah. speaking, then he would say something. You know, oh, like, okay. All that's right. how he would talk. You know, that was what the warrior did. But also um, there's one that has like a TM after it. I'm like, you can't TM that. 
he, it's just, yeah, Matt I have Warrior. a feeling that he got together with some creators. They were super pumped because they were wrestling fans or whatever. They got the script from him. They went, oh my God, this is completely indecipherable nonsense. And then they looked at each other and said, are you going to be the one to tell him that? And they went, no, we're putting this comic out. I don't think so, man. I think <laughs> this, terrified. I think this Jim Call I think this Jim, Jim Callahan guy's a true believer. I think like, he was they, scared I, as hell. Not to I, put I, like, I think that they were like super close bros. Normal things that normal people adhere to mean nothing to me and the pack of warriors that ride my back. R.I.P. Warrior, but it's time to talk about Mark Hamill's first venture into comic books. The year was 1996 when we got The Black Pearl, number one from Dark Horse. This was written by Mark Hamill and Eric Johnson with art by H.M. Baker. Hamill and Johnson write the story of a voyeur that accidentally stops a two-man serial rape crew from kidnapping the woman he's been watching. The aftermath is caught on camera by an amateur street journalist duo that sells footage of the goriest crimes to the highest bidder. In this case, it's a Mari Povich homage named Jerry Delman, who takes the story and promptly turns it into a vigilante tale of a man pushed too far, taking the law into his own hands, since the police don't seem to care. So what's the voyeur to do? But to become the Black Pearl that the media has created. Yeah, obviously. The story was based on a screenplay written by Hamill and Johnson that Hamill's been trying to bring to screen for years. In 2010, Variety reported that Hamill was going to be directing a version of the movie, but it never happened, which probably for the best. While the writers are trying to tell a very tongue-in-cheek takedown of tabloid journalism, the story is almost too dark to care about anyone except the potential rape victim, I guess, who everyone in the book ogles over. Literally, every time you see her, someone's like, oh, baby, yeah, give me some of that. <laughs> The story is packed full of evil journalists, perverts, murderous rapists, and an all-encompassing nihilistic view of L.A. that leaves you rooting for no one. You can tell they were going for a RoboCop vibe, but I don't think RoboCop would have worked well either if Detective Murphy was a pervert before his transformation. Sure, right. Johnson's art isn't much to rave about either, although Hamill does just that in the opening notes. He's like, if you looked at this cover and the art blew you away, well, get ready for a thrill ride. <laughs> I was like, did it? I don't know, man. Uh, he packs the book with cheesecake and some genuinely weird face work. The design on the Black Pearl character when he finally suits up is quite the choice too. It's like Wolverine is Weapon X with a trench coat and syringes on his fingers. It's you know like, like he looked like a slightly more put together Dark Man. Yeah, you know? I guess, but he had like a TV on his head or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, but it's just like here's a guy who threw some shit together yeah, and I then suppose. made a costume out of it. You it's know? obvious the creators had beef with '90s shock journalists of the day, but this was a pretty ham-fisted takedown with a very odd choice for a hero. I'm giving this a leave it. <laughs> I just didn't. Yeah, care. I mean, I didn't get. They didn't made like it, it impossible to care. Yeah, I didn't dig it. It was it was way too over the top. Like you said, you know, it, you're trying to go for that RoboCop vibe, but the thing RoboCop had going for it was that it was the future. Right. Right. And you could be like, okay, yeah. If our world is this way now, 
in the future, it's definitely going to be, you know, but, I could buy, I'd buy that for a dollar, you know, kind of, and militarized police force kind of. There was also like, you still would, a tragic hero, though, like someone you could root sure, for. Sure, right. <laughs> this reminded me a lot of, um, at least the the setup for uh, the main character. There was a movie in the eighties called Body Double, and it was, and it was one of those movies that you'd catch like randomly on HBO, and uh, it had Melanie Griffith in it, a young Melanie Griffith. Right. The premise is is that this dude was house sitting and the guy's like apartment or condo or whatever it was overlooked this cliff. And at the bottom of the cliff was somebody else's place. And there was a telescope conveniently placed into the window of that other apartment. And so this guy started watching and witnesses a murder and he gets wrapped up in trying to catch this murderer. And like, for some reason that left this indelible impression on me as like a 10 year old kid. And that's exactly what I thought of when I read this comic. I was like, this is just body double with dark man influences. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. It's a leave it. I, I didn't care for it. Sorry, Mark. I, I didn't think the art was that bad. Actually. The art is it's, it's not great. It's not great, but it's early nineties, dark horse, you know, I mean, type I of guess. standard art. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. All right, jumping forward to the 2000s, it's Rob Zombie's Spook Show International number one from CrossGen 2003. Hey, it's our first CrossGen book. Is it really? This is the first CrossGen book we talked about. Uh, unless you count the brief revival Marvel did some years ago when they bought the company, but I don't count that. Nah, nah, nah. Uh, unfortunately, our first foray into the wild world of CrossGen is Rob Zombie's Spook Show International. A Tales from the Crypt-esque anthology narrated by a series of bizarre hosts, except for when it's not narrated by a series of bizarre hosts for <laughs> yeah. no reason. Uh, I'll spare you the pain of addressing the merits of each individual story, but suffice it to say, they're all pretty rough. Uh, we get not one, but two stories featuring Dr. Satan, one played deadly serious and the other one that's more like an animated comedy featuring a luchador. Uh, there would be a spin-off series of the guy El Super Bisto. Two of the stories are essentially the same, featuring torch-bearing mobs attempting to dispatch evil forces it's a, in a very Frankenstein-esque fashion. The only thing that sets them apart is that one is actually set during Frankenstein-y times, and it's about the skeletal remains of the villain. And the other one occurs while the baddie is still alive, but suddenly that second story is placed in the 40s or 50s for no reason by the appearance of an American diner. The dialogue is terrible across the board with one bit of consistency. It is horribly sexist, full of terrible puns tailored to the character speaking them like Frankenstein wanting to throw a stripper in the river or the invisible man being glad he's invisible so he can masturbate in public. I will say this. The comic has great art pretty much across the board. Thanks to the likes of Eddie Barrows, Kieran Dwyer, Will Conrad and Gene fucking colon. Yep. Why Gene? Why? <laughs> I confess, I don't really get the whole Rob Zombie freak show thing. I, I'm sure it has its fans. And Spook Show International seems to be aimed squarely at them. For me, it's a leave it. I just, this did nothing for me. Everything about Rob Zombie is on paper is something that I should love. He's a nerd that plays metal, that makes horror movies, that makes comics. Sure. He's living his best nerd B-movie horror life. And for some reason... I can't care about any of it. I, I don't care about White Zombie. I don't care about his comics. I don't care about his movies at all. I just, I, and it, 
I got to make dinner for Rob Zombie Watch. This is true. When I was working at the Magnolia Hotel, he was playing downtown and I made him dinner and he gave me free tickets. And they were like, do you want to take food out to him? And I, because they're like, you're a Rob Zombie fan, right? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I am. Why, for, and I got, why not? I got super nervous and I took food out to him and I came back and I was like, yeah, he was so nice. He was really cool. And he gave me tickets to the show and whatever. And I went to the show and I, and driving home, I was like, you know what? I don't like anything Rob Zombie does. <laughs> I don't. It should be there like he's paying his homage to ec comics he is sure, doing right. a bunch of tongue-in-cheek stuff i mean and like in the 90s this super you know like sexy horror thing was still totally fine it was allowed and whatever and i'm not saying I it's mean, good or bad yeah, it was it, what it no, was it's bad it's but bad it was just comic i did not care about it then i do not care about it now i don't give a shit about captain spaulding I, don't, I think he's a bad movie director and an even worse comic book writer. This is garbage. And I'm giving yeah. you to leave it. And I, it's like, it's so close. Like, just a couple things here and there. And it probably could be brilliant. And I think the same thing about his movies and his music. But he yeah. just can't get away from the dick and fart stuff, you know? It, yeah. it just yeah. always ends up with this lowest common denominator bullshit. So I'm giving it to leave it. It's too easy. Yeah. That's it's too easy to do this shit. And he, he could be better than that. Yeah. And, and I will like, to be perfectly fair, I will also admit that like this whole aesthetic, the whole creep show aesthetic and the like late night horror movie host, like Sven Gulli shit that's, that, that does nothing for me. I love like, it. I, I, I have no affection for it. I none. personally love it. And I should and Rob Zombie loves it too. And it's obvious. But for a guy that loves it so much, he just keeps missing the mark. You know, I don't get it. I just like <laughs> you, you started off, you started Rob, you started off narrating the book yourself. Then you have Captain Spaulding narrate one. Yeah. Then there's no narrator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Captain Spaulding again. Like, it, why? Just he, pick one. He had an idea for three comic books and they crushed it into an anthology. That's all it is. It's bad. Yeah. It's a bad comic book. It just tastes so damn good. Speaking of bad comic books, <laughs> and I'm just going to spoil it right off the top. This is Menace, number uh, one, yeah. from Awesome Comics. The year was 1998. Rob Liefeld had decided, I don't need no image comics. I'm taking my ball, and I'm going to go be famous on my own. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hook up with a bunch of movie stars and Jeff Loeb. TV producer, and we are going to crank out comics that will go straight to the big screen and make me even more famous. Case in point, I mean, writer Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah. And artist Dan Fraga. Fraga. Oh, by the way, uh, colors by awesome colors. Right. Excuse me. Uh, to, be perfectly, to be perfectly fair, I don't think it was Rob's decision to take his ball and go home. I think he got ejected from image comics. according to him it was but no he got voted out rock. to have image comics this by is the rock, other founders you know. menace takes place on the urban streets of any city in 1998 and it could be happening right now if it was still 1998 the story opens following a woman known as menace who works as a drug dealing lap dancer that's actually a hit woman or a drug dealing hit woman that dresses like a lap dancer. It's hard to tell. She rolls with a crew of fellow drug dealing hit women who also dress like and may also be lap dancers. Since it was 1998, 
They've all got size zero waists and double D boobs. So when she and crew are sent to deliver a suitcase full of cocaine to Dill, he and his boys can't resist them curves. Of course, there's some groping, and then the girls kill the boys, but after that, she's betrayed by her own boss and shot dead, only to return from the grave, looking for vengeance as Menace is reborn as Menace. I still Menace. Guess. <laughs> I think her I think her reborn name is Still Menace. Awesome Comics was Rob Leefield's imprint, along with help from Jeff Loeb, after his extreme maximum press studio left image. For reasons. We don't totally know, but it sure seems like he was no, kicked yeah, the yeah, fuck no, out. We know. We know. The yeah. plan we, was to turn comics know. into movies, and artist Fraga says this book was part of a scheme to get Will Smith to produce a movie for another awesome character, The Mark. But the comic and that movie were never made. The Mark was just a sketch that happened in the back of another. It was offered. It's like a comic that's coming. In the back of some awesome. Oh, comics. it was an ad. Okay. Yes, we never got it. I, I remember seeing the. I remember seeing the the cover for it. Yes, but now, it would have just been an ad then. Now, Will Smith. Pardon me. Rob says this is that's all bullshit. And if you look at the timeline, it doesn't make any sense because this book came out in 1997, and you're saying that happened in 1996. But if you read the editorial material in the back of this book. Written by Rob Leefield. He says the idea for Menace started two years ago, which would have been 1995. <laughs> so. All right. You've mentioned four different years. This book came out in 1998. So let me repeat. Yes. Two years prior to that would have been 1996. Yes. He's saying that it was yes. impossible that the timeline yes. didn't work. But then he admits that the timeline is exactly the what timeline Dan totally works. Yes. I will give Jada points for putting out a comic starring a woman of color, even if it's just supposed to be her, a move we'll see repeated by almost every celebrity creating a comic. But the story is almost non-existent and reads like a badly written drug deal in a bad 90s movie. Fraga, who I believe was going by Fraga Boom at this point, yeah. is doing his best J. Scott Campbell slash Michael Turner impression. And while this is the story of a badass woman, it's so full of cheesecake. And I guess the story is so sparse that it's easy to lose any empowerment whatsoever. The story is basically the crow. If the main character was a criminal murderer named the crow before being killed and then reborn as the vengeful murderer named the crow. <laughs> No, his name is still the crow. Menace only saw one issue published. And since the character makes her debut on the last page, we never found out what her powers were, how she got them, why she came back from the dead. And after issue number one, we know nothing about the character whatsoever. Something tells me Jada doesn't want to talk about this one either. I'm giving this a leave it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this it's is bad. Incredibly uh, bad. <laughs> it's very bad. It's capitally bad. Uh, so there's an uh, there's a title page, like all classy comics have, of course. Uh, and on that title page is you know the name of the book, the name of the story of the book, sure. the list of creators, the indic the indicia, indicia, whatever you call that thing at the bottom for the postman. And then there is a, a classy set of three inset panels 
One featuring a close-up of Menace's face. Yeah. One featuring a close-up of Menace's rack. Yeah. And then a third one featuring a close-up of Menace's crotch. Yeah. Who cares about uh, butts, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, it, like, guys, look, man. We all know what you were doing. We all know what you were going, you were sure. going for. Awesome get out, of, get out of town with this empowerment nonsense. They I'm not knew saying it. that women can't wear whatever they want. They can't. They knew where their bread was buttered at the time. Okay. But a com- like a comic book drawn like this with characters that look like this, this is for explicitly one thing. And that is to titillate uh, young men. Sure. And Jada and gave there is, fully signed off on this. <laughs> no, it's true. She did. Uh, there is absolutely nothing titillating about three cross sections of body parts completely removed from context. But you got to keep in mind, like, and we talked about all the time when we worked at the shop back in the day, the people that bought and look like what you like, I'm not trying to yuck your yum, but the people that bought this shit were basically people that like wanted to get into porn, but they were scared of porn. You know, like porn is just so porny, you know, this is just like almost porn and I can still yeah, masturbate right. to this. Oh, wait a minute. Know? This guy worked, this guy used to work for image, right? I think I'll check this out. Yeah. Oh, what's this? Jada Pinkett Smith. Why I'm a fan of her work. Right. Uh, yeah, no, it's a leave it. It sucks. Yeah. It was garbage, but the best parts of this are go in and read the editorial stuff by the creators because it's, it just sounds like, they are like so desperately trying to convince you what a masterpiece this is, what a great idea it was to get away from Image Comics, and how fucking famous they are all going to be after you read this. Never mind, it's canceled. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, and I will say this uh, the back matter is much more interesting than the back matter. Oh, yeah. Kind of warrior number it's, one. It's great. So, Rob, have you had any formal art training? No. Just uh, a lot of imagination, I think. Wait, so so I say it. In Jumping back over to DC, we have JLA. Welcome to the working week. It was a prestige format one shot from DC in 2003. You know what? I loved that era. That was a sweet spot oh, for me. Oh, man, it was, late, it was fantastic. Late, ni- late 90s to mid 2000s DC, yeah. where it was just like creatively firing on all cylinders. The prestige format ruled the stands. Totally. I bet it was a nightmare for retailers. Oh, yeah. About. It was terrifying. It had to be awful. I remember, I remember very distinctly, quick aside to Joe's story time, I remember very distinctly having to take down stacks of JLA versus Witchblade. <laughs> That we ordered big on, but it did not sell. Go figure. A $6 comic not drawn by Michael Turner. (laughs) And look, and we can get into it on cover to cover if you want to, but I'm sorry. If Superman fights the Witchblade, that's over pretty quick, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's magic, (laughs) sure. But you know who else is on the JLA? Wonder Wonder Woman. Woman, Yeah. Batman. Green Lantern. The Flash. There's literally nobody on the Justice League that loses a fight to the fucking Witchblade. Yeah, no, nobody. (laughs) Even Plastic Man beats Witchblade, sorry. Back to the topic at hand. Comedian and lifelong comics fan Patton Oswalt got his shot at the big time here with this prestige format one shot featuring a young journalist stowing away in the Justice League watchtower and getting a glimpse into one week of their lives. Oswalt's script is good. It's just a little clunky, though. The timeline's kind of all over the place, and it can be pop culture reference after reference after reference at times. But it's a fun story with an alien herald of sorts fattening up Earth's population for his all-powerful masters. 
There's also a fun little reveal at the end that reminded me why the Martian Manhunter used to be the best. Remember that? That was also from this time period. Yeah. Martian Manhunter is awesome. Remember when we cared about him? Remember DC, back when totally Martian Manhunter was more than yeah. a dude that just showed up and went, hey, I'd like to fight next time. Oh, by the way, I'm also my name the Mar- is the Martian I'm, Manhunter. Goodbye. <laughs> I am also in the Justice League, by the way. See you guys at the next meeting. The art in this one shot is provided by a young, fresh-faced Patrick Gleason. Gleason would have been coming off of a stint as the original artist of Jay Farber's Noble Causes. So good. The book. Oh, so good. Uh, some fill-in work at DC, like uh, he- Hero, which we've mentioned more than once on the show. And off of drawing me the single worst convention sketch I have ever received. <laughs> here's, a, here's a lesson I learned the painful way, guys. If you're going to a convention and the guy asks you what you want, you're not being nice when you say, oh, whatever you're in the mood for. No. Well, what kind of they nerd don't, would say that? Come on. I do. I'm like, I, cause I always thought, I thought to myself, you know what? Hey, whatever you feel like drawing, man, Get I love noble fuck. causes. Draw me anything from noble causes. GTFO, bro. Yes. Yes. That's the lesson. Don't do that. Yeah. Come prepared. Pick a character. Stick with it. Better yet. Don't hope for a good sketch. Pay the man. Okay. <laughs> I think I paid him. You want a good sketch? Pay him. Well, I mean, this is a whole nother topic, right. but this was a, this was a, a, the early 2000s. It, the, 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 the scene at cons was different. Anyway, the future Marvel Stormbreakers star would soon begin to rise <laughs> with memorable runs on Aquaman and a revitalized, the oldest Marvel Stormbreaker yes. on the list. I have yes. to imagine Stormbreaker senior <laughs> and a revitalized Green Lantern Corps. That was a great run. He is definitely he has definitely come a long way since 2003, but his work here is still fantastic. It's wonderfully detailed and exaggerated in a way that reminded me of a slightly softer edged Doug Mankey from that same era. Uh, bef- like yeah. Doug Mankey's art would kind of evolve into be this kind of like more angular, uh, you know, sharp edge kind of thing. But back then it was, it had, was more like round features. Yeah. You know, it, it was very reminiscent. JLA welcome to the working week is a fine one shot by a talented creative team. Oswald stumbles over the cadence of his own dialogue a bit. But I still had a lot of fun revisiting this. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was great. I thought it was fan- I, just a ton of fun. I agree. Oswald is doing too much. That's the only thing. Yeah, you know, like it reminds you just to doing what too it, much. He still did a very good job. Sure, there are yeah. some legitimately amazing character moments with the Martian Manhunter. There's a scene with Wonder Woman that is just awesome. I love that scene with Wonder Woman. Two different yes. Batman scenes that I loved and a Superman scene that is absolutely perfectly superman it's yes wonderful where he yeah. like he, he basically the leech comes to him and instead of fighting the leech sits down and's like i'm in real trouble and superman's like what's wrong he's like i am absorbing way too much and i think i'm even more powerful than you something's gonna happen i gotta get out of here and superman like talks him down in this wonderfully superman yeah. moment it's so good yeah. and there's enough of those moments that this was just a ton of fun excellent art huge buy we shall pay for are you binge watching the great british bake-off in your helmet while we fight no i'm glad that we're getting both of our good comic books out of the way back to back next up for me is the amazing spider-man the short halloween one shot from 2009 this was written by seth myers and bill Hader with art by kevin mcguire it's Halloween night in New York, and the streets are lousy with drunk, naughty versions of just about anything you can think of, and also superheroes and villains. As it would happen, Ronnie chose to dress up as Spidey for Halloween and bumped into a couple of guys dressed as Doc Ock and Green Goblin. Ronnie, in true drunken Halloween spirit, 
throws a drink on his arch nemesis and gets tossed in the alley. At the same time, the real Spidey is dealing with a member of the Furious Five, Fume. And there's a couple of really good jokes. Every time Fume says, I am Fume from the Furious Five, and they're like, isn't that like the evil team from Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> and he's like, I wasn't aware. I didn't see that. <laughs> While both are unconscious, Ronnie's buddies take the real Spidey, by mistake, back to his apartment, and Fume takes Ronnie back to his supervillain gang. It's an honest mistake, and it leads to some hilarity and even Fume learning a lesson that leads to him giving up his life of crime. The story opens with some narrative set up that I could not help but hear Bill Hader narrating in his best Vincent Price impersonation. From there, <laughs> the script is really funny and moves at a solid pace and even has a very heartwarming ending. You can't ask for much more in a Spidey Halloween one-shot, but you're going to throw in the excellent art of Kevin Maguire, who is so good here, and not in, like, your typical Kevin Maguire. If you didn't tell me this was Kevin Maguire, I don't know that I would have picked him out. It is a little different, yeah. Right? I'm saying... This was excellent. I'm giving it a buy it. I totally missed this comic. This is the first time I've ever read it. Oh, yeah. No, I remember reading this. Uh, this came out uh, during the brand new day era. This was great. In fact, there is a there is the the title page featuring the brand new day, the first brand new day cover uh, by Steve McNiven. And um, yeah, no, I, I thought this was a, a total blast. I remember liking this back then. It was fun revisiting it. Uh in the present day, uh, uh, 12 years later, um, it's full of laugh out loud moments. Like I was, just, I was just looking back over it. There's, the, there's that moment in the, in the apartment where, uh, Cheryl, uh, the girlfriend yeah. still thinks that that's Ronnie and she kisses him on the hand and accidentally she sets off his web <laughs> yeah. right into her face. Uh, it's very stupid and it's very funny. Um, yeah, this is a buy it. Kevin Maguire rules, of course. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. Absolutely. Great job, guys. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over a many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. Haunting Liberace, haunting! Okay. Well, now that we got all the good stuff out of the way. Yeah, glad we're done with that. <laughs> going back to Image, same year though, 2009. Hold on, for an intro here, let me ask you. If you had to pick one Fast and Furious cast member that you wanted to read a comic book by, Tell me it's not Tyrese. I dare you to tell me it's not Tyrese. Uh, I mean, it's not not Tyrese. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it, though, and we'll get to it. It's mayhem number one from Image Comics 2009. Los Angeles, the city of fallen angels, is a city swept up by a brutal crime wave led by a kingpin known only, known only as the kingpin. Um, Big X. The body count builds as only one man can stop the flow of drugs and violence. Only one man can stop Big X. He is the embodiment of vengeance and raw justice. The faceless arm of those who cannot defend themselves. He is known as the punished uh, mayhem. The Red Hood. Along, I think, oh, sorry. Mayhem. Oh, the Red Hood, right? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and along with his sexy but deadly partner, Malice, their goal is to dismantle the Kingpins, not that Kingpins organization, unravel <laughs> the dark secret that mysteriously links them to Big X and save the city they grew up in. 
Uh, so yeah, mayhem exclamation point is Tyrese Gibson's low rent Punisher knockoff with a sexy sidekick instead of a schlubby computer nerd in a van. And yes, also now that you mention it, it very much reads like uh, the revived red hood with the guns and the, and the crime uh, totally. murdering. It was such a ripoff. It reads just about as creatively, despite the presence of two additional co-writers. I don't know why I couldn't even be bothered to remember the actual story a lot going on. <laughs> uh, is there, uh, there's a revenge angle, of course, and uh, mayhem exclamation point is a good church going vigilante murderer. Uh, I will say that there was a fun twist with the sidekick's identity that I didn't see coming. Really? Oh, uh, well, that's mainly because I didn't give it enough. I didn't give, wasn't giving it that much credit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, like, I didn't expect them to actually pull off a twist like that. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, so at least there's they that. do it, though, where she's like, I haven't seen fireworks like that since the last time I was with my father. And then later on, she's like, hello, father. <laughs> like, fuck uh, off. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, yeah, way to spoil it. Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's worry about spoiling ma'am. Okay. <laughs> her dad is big ass. <laughs> The art by Violent Messiah's creator Tone Rodriguez is pretty decent. Uh, I Tone Rodriguez. I read the name and I'm like, why is that name so I think familiar? His name is Tony. And I had to Google I it. I think it's Tony. They just it's well, maybe, but I always called him Tone Rodriguez. And so I looked it up, and he is the creator of Violent Messiahs. Do you remember Violent Messiahs? That's the Dark Horse book with the guy with the smiley face. And like, I think it was. Uh, I think it was an. M- no, that's Body Bags. Oh, that's or, Body Bags. Uh, yeah, no. I, but Violent Messiahs was like a hot indie book oh, for a while. Got it. It was an image book. Yeah, it was in yeah. his top cow. Yes. Uh, it, the art's got kind of a cartoonier early 2000s Punisher vibe to it. You know, whatever. It's not bad. Uh, Mayhem exclamation point isn't necessarily bad. Uh, it's also pretty standard revenge vigilante fare across the board. Uh, this came out just after Fast 4. So I like to imagine that maybe Tyrese was a little worried about the franchise's future. <laughs> Like yeah. fast four, fast four is uh, widely considered the worst of them. And uh, uh, Tokyo Drift is pretty damn bad. No, nah, Tokyo Drift, <laughs> like Tokyo Drift, at least no, Tokyo Drift has Han. Fast four just sucks. Uh, yeah, it's got Han hanging out with a bunch of little kids, high school for some kids. Reason. Yeah, hey, don't worry about it. Bow, little bow wows there. Yeah. The kid from Remember the Titans. No, he's not the kid from Remember the Titans. No, fucking remember. no. He's, he's the, some other kid. He's the poor man's kid from the Remember the Titans. Yes, right. Yes, there you go. There you go. <laughs> the worst accent ever. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing here in Tokyo. He called him Han. Why you keep calling me God, Jen? <laughs> yeah. Stop it. Anyway. By, by the way, uh, one more aside. Joshua Dysart is your co-creator of Violent Messiahs. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I very like famous I valiant Joshua Dysart. There you go. Yeah. That's those guys got their start somewhere. Yeah. Uh so yeah, I, I, I like to I like to imagine that Tyrese was like, ooh, people don't really like Fast Four. Maybe I better hedge my bets by jumping into comics just yeah. in case. <laughs> uh luckily the Fast family has soared to spectacular heights, including the edge of space. <laughs> Mayhem exclamation point number one, however. Uh, I'm giving, I'm being generous and giving it a skim it just because it's just, it's so very like across the board, the same thing you've read a thousand times. I'm giving you a leave it because it was just lazy. It's so lazy. Not like, only. Why does it have two co-writers? It, I don't understand. Three, there's I, like, three writers in this fucking book. <laughs> like you would think it would be either two times less boring or two times more boring. Right. And again, with that many it's like, extra writers. you've got a story know. where like, he's an anti-hero, right? And like, he's a bad guy that kills people. But then he goes to church and says, I'm sorry, God, 
And then like dad or father figure, whoever the hell it is, comes out and like, well, God's not going to forgive you. And he's like, yeah, he will. <laughs> like, what are we doing? This is just ridiculous. Yeah. I, yeah no, I Jason yeah. Todd had appeared as the Red Hood in this same costume, the same exact costume we see here four years earlier in 2000. Now, you know, it's not the same exact costume. It looks just damn near like it's, it. he's wearing a red mask. Tell That's me where it is. You didn't look at that and see the Red Hood. Tell me you didn't. I, at first I didn't, at but maybe that's because I had already heard of man. It is totally there. This was just <laughs> lazy. It was bad. It lasted three issues. There is no reason to revisit this. It, it, like, <laughs> are there more redeeming qualities here than perhaps in menace? Sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, yes. The art is a little better, but it's just violent to be violent. It's not clever. The twist you see coming a mile away. I don't know. How I you mean, I, I didn't. I guess yeah. I wasn't paying attention. This was garbage. Leave it. Uh, now, uh, real quick. Uh, the only thing I like, I had heard of mayhem. And the only thing I remembered about it was uh, the I fanboy guys making fun of it on their podcast where uh, they would see Tyrese promoting it at like comic-con and stuff and every time they said the name they said the name they'd go mayhem <laughs> because it's mayhem exclamation point that's right. what it says that's Fair written enough. on the comic that's true mayhem exclamation point uh it's not just a funny joke it's the title of the comic there you go uh but yeah mayhem. make it 100 g's a piece poppy like i said we hungry moving right along to what i would argue is probably our most famous celebrity creator Right? Yeah. Arguably? I mean, yes, this I is, would say. This is Cold Space, number one from Boom. Uh, well, I mean, Mark Hamill, but okay. Yeah. I mean, certainly more movies under his belt. This was written. That doesn't necessarily mean equate to fame, but yes, I see what you're saying. Written by Samuel Jackson and Eric Calderon with art by Jeremy Rock. It's no secret that Jackson is a comic fan, so it was only a matter of time before he jumped into the business with a creator-owned title here Along with Afro Samurai co-creator Eric Calderon, Jackson tells the story of Mulberry, a solo pirate that prowls the, quote, frontier of space. Not really sure what that means <laughs> in the year 4012. Of course, Jackson puts himself in the starring role, and even the dialogues as macho and cool as any of his film characters. This is a setup issue that only seems to serve as showing us that Mulberry is a badass and doesn't like space cops. He is a pirate after all. What story? Let me show me a pirate. The, show me a space pirate that doesn't uh, hate space cops. Fair enough. What story there is here seems to borrow heavily from space westerns like Serenity, but with less interesting ship designs. In fact, some of the ship designs were terrible. <laughs> the art wasn't bad, but it felt less like sequential storytelling and more like bunch of pictures with some writing for a, uh, like a storyboard maybe yeah for a like, first yeah, issue yeah, they're exactly just what that is wasn't much to get excited about but it seems like the creators were banking on the novelty of the main character being sam jackson carrying the bulk of the weight here and it's fine but i gotta say this feels pretty lazy like Nothing happens in this first book <laughs> other than Sam Jackson's tough with some cops. And then he's tough off panel with some space Western bad guys, I guess. Skim it. <laughs> I mean, I thought this was fine. Uh, yeah, it's very tame. Like it, 
It's extremely right. fine. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> right. Uh, you come to me and you say, Samuel L. Jackson wrote a comic book. I'm like, awesome. Great. Uh, why does he say nuts all the time? Is this an, like, are you trying to sell this? Is this a PG 13 thing you're going for? Why isn't it just like Samuel L. Jackson in space? Why isn't he saying motherfucker? Yeah, because it's obviously like, Sam Jackson. No, no yeah, it's it's 100%. It's, it's yeah, Mulberry. Down yeah, to the it's, dialogue, it's, everything. It's, it's Mulberry L. Jackson, the descendant of Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And it's like, why? Okay, look, I get it. He's not just one thing. The man has been in movies where he doesn't curse like a sailor. I sure. understand. But come on. Uh, like you've got him saying nuts, which as a catchphrase is terrible. Right. Um, but you know, I thought it was cute. I thought the art was good. I, I thought Jeremy rock did a good job. Um, I'm giving this a skim it as well, but I think I liked it more than you did. Uh, uh, it's just, um, it's weird, right? It's just weird that this is the, what Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Decided to like make. this is your output with your, but like, look, Afro Samurai was kick ass and, and they really put some work into it and it was amazing, like groundbreaking for what it was. And this just, I don't know. It just feels like they crapped it out. You know, like there's not a lot of thought here. They're just like, I don't know. It's space Western. I'm badass. Draw some pictures. Yeah. I'm punching that guy. What, what would you say here? I don't know. Something tough. <laughs> like okay yeah i mean sure i i don't know I, yeah it's a skim it it's a skim it it's fine like you said it's aggressively fine it's aggressively fine <laughs> <laughs> now that we've fulfilled our cosmic long box duties and probably killed more brain cells than we would have had had we spent this time huffing carburetor cleaner it's time to pick one of these comics to go in the THN permanent collection. Matt, which of these celeb creator comics is getting bagged and boarded? I, I'm going with Seth Meyers and Bill Hader because they just, yeah. they wrote a very effective and believable Spider-Man comic. This could have been any writer that I enjoy, that, I've, that I know writes Spider-Man and does a good job. They stepped in, they did the job, they found a way to draw to get Kevin McGuire to draw almost every spider bad guy you can think of in sure. Halloween scenes and stuff. The yeah. humor was legitimately funny. It was very like self-aware in like the, you know, the badger teeth guy who was the bad guy. It was like, I've been on a lot of teams and it's not because I keep getting fired. It's because I have anger management issues and I kill some people and then they kick me out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was really good. And you could just, you could hear them on it but they weren't crushing themselves into a story like every other celebrity we mentioned. I don't even know if it's fair to say that that happened. I think these comics might've had a little bit more personality if that had been the case. Quite possibly. But I mean, like, I guess they stopped at crushing themselves into the story. It's like, bam, sure. it's me. There we go. What would you yeah, do? Well, it's like, I'm too busy. Yeah. Just you write it. <laughs> sure. Like uh, the Samuel L. Jackson comic at least was like, yeah, that's Samuel L. Jackson. But the menace comic Menace was just like, well, she kind of looks like Jada Pinkett. Yeah. But I don't get any, like, there's nothing about the character that reminds me of Jada Pinkett. No, because Jada Pinkett Smith. Smith didn't write that comic. She just she, put her name well, on she it. Totally did, man. Uh -huh. She totally did. They all totally wrote okay. these <laughs> I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt by saying she no. didn't. That's what I'm doing. This is not me no, saying no, no. girls can't write comics. This is me saying, I hope you didn't write this, Jada. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I mean... So it's, it's obvious that the winners here are by the people that actually are, you know, writers, right? right? 
Patton Oswalt, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers. Uh, and w- the short Halloween is definitely edges out the uh, welcome to the working week as my favorite of the week, which, you know, wasn't that hard considering the other six books we had to read were just the books that you put that you picked seriously they were just pushed me to the edge joe (laughs) and i have fun reading bad comics i like it it's a good time to read it make fun of it but some of these like i was sitting on the couch the olympics are on and i'm just (laughs) trying to do my thing and every time i finish i would go god damn okay look look listen jesus I wanted I wanted to do 25 to Life written by Eric LaSalle from ER. I couldn't find it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so I had to review Mayhem. No, I had to review Mayhem. Eric LaSalle no longer famous, we decided. <laughs> I, I guess he's not famous <laughs> he enough. He was famous. Uh, you know, the Warrior, I didn't. I honestly did not know what I was getting into, wow. though I guess I should have known considering the guy legally changed his name to Warrior. Yeah, well, you know. I don't know what we were thinking with this theme. <laughs> you wanted. I don't know. This theme this. was your idea. No. I just tried to stop you from oh, coming no. up with themes somebody and then tried un- to immediately discard them. Somebody on cover to cover brought this up and they were like, you guys yeah, should do don't that. Blame, no, and we no, were like, don't yeah. Blame anybody and, you, else. and you were like, no, <laughs> no. Check the tapes. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, we, uh, we chose poorly this week. Thank God there were two bright spots. Good job, Seth Myers. Good job, Bill Hader. Good job, Patton Oswalt. You can find the list of all the comics we're going to review on the show every Wednesday on our Twitters and our faces book. If you want to read along and don't forget to check our Instagram feed so you can see our covers of the week as well. Also let us know what you thought about these comics or anything you read on our live call-in show. THN cover to cover. We do it every Saturday on Facebook live from 11 to noon central standard time. I also wanted to review, um, Milo Ventimiglia's rest, which may have been the comic that made me think, maybe I don't need to be collecting comics anymore. Who is Milo Ventimiglia? Milo Ventimiglia. Uh, he played, he was Peter Petrelli on heroes. He was the, he was the lead guy on heroes. Oh, uh, he's also on This Is Us. Oh, yeah, famous. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, he also played Rocky Balboa's kid. Oh, in yeah. One I of like the later him. Rocky movies. I like yeah, him. No, he's great. He's great. He put out a comic in the early 2000s called Rest. Uh, I also couldn't find that one. You know so, what doesn't sorry. hold up and is on Peacock? And if you want to, like, go back and watch it. It's Heroes. Heroes. That show's yeah, fucking no. terrible. <laughs> it's not good. It is terrible. <laughs> Now that we're rematerializing in our correct timeline, it's time to head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to light some incense, to mask that time travel smell, and to discuss our must-read picks for next week. Matt, how would you describe the smell of time travel, and what's your must-read pick for next week? You know those Asian melons that you crack open and they smell like a baby diaper? <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's yeah. A, that's the closest I can get is that to a, it. Is that a durian? I, some, yes, a durian fruit. Yes. Ugh, strange. Just, ugh awful but my pick of the week next week is not it is the Gollum walks among us number one from dark horse it's written by christopher golden and mike mignola with art by peter bergting and colors by michelle madsen here's your solicit the Gollum has a long memory after being awakened from his long sleep in a shrine in eastern europe yosef the Gollum aids in the fight against the witches that once again terrorize humanity Deployed to a small village where a cult has taken root, Yosef encounters not only witches, but an old enemy who remembers him well. 
and is out for vengeance. Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden continue the legacy of Lord Baltimore's world in another tale from the Outerverse with art by, I already mentioned all these people. But this is like one of the first ones with the cover that says like stories from the Outerverse or tales from the Outerverse. And I didn't know what that was. That is where, that's where Lord Baltimore is from. So there you go. Well, interesting. And if you have not read any of the Lord Baltimore books, you might be a jerk because they're uh, Baltimore is great. Awesome. Uh, oh. uh, not to be confused with Witchfinder, which is a different, he's a different Lord or he's a Sir. Um, but it's fun that they've, you know, quantified it as like the yes. Outerverse or whatever. That's fun. I like that kind of stuff. Uh, and when I saw this, I thought for a second it was Joe Gollum, which is also a Dark Horse book, but no, this is its own thing. Different thing. My pick of the week is X-Men. Number two from Marvel comics, uh, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. It's three ninety nine. Joe. Why X-Men number two? It's because we didn't get a chance to review X-Men number one. We also we don't gone- always have to pick a number one issue, you know, I, it, well, it's true, but you- like, I liked X-Men number one and I'm going to read this and I want a chance to talk about it on the show. Cool. Pick what Here's your heart tells you. That's all, you know, you know, look, I don't have to justify, justify myself to anyone. Wow. <laughs> Big words, little mister. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, here's the solicit. Always bet on X. As threats hurtle toward Earth from all sides, the fearless X-Men fight a seemingly unstoppable wave of annihilation, but even more dangerous threats lurk in the darkness, ready to strike in secret. That really doesn't tell you anything, does it? <laughs> nope, nope. It's like, it's an X-Men book. Yeah. They fight stuff. Bad guys yeah, are coming. It's Can the X-Men, X-Men survive? Eh, chances are, yeah. Yes, right. Uh, but you know what? Uh, you know, here's a brief spoiler for my uh, joint review on our next show. Uh, X-Men number one was rad. Uh, I'm looking forward to more of it. I wasn't exactly sold on the new X team when I heard about it, but I really like, it was great. I love sync. I love Sunfire. It was great. You know, even, even Polaris who I didn't think should have won the vote. She was cool in the book. Pepe or Laraz is a friggin' dynamo. Yeah. So yeah, it's X-Men number two for me. The THN trade of the week which was obviously chosen by me is the Michael Moorcock library, Elric, the Stormbringer from Titan. This is adapted and drawn by P Craig Russell. Here's your solicit hailed as a modern masterpiece on its first release and considered to be Russell's finest work. I don't disagree with that. This volume collects the critically acclaimed Eisner award-winning seven issue miniseries adapted and drawn by the artist and writer P Craig Russell, who worked directly with Michael Moorcock on the script. Now, you're going to say to me, great, what's it about? They didn't mention any of that. If you don't know Elric, Elric is a huge, sweeping fantasy tale about an elf with a magic blade, but it is so much more than that. It is completely bizarre and amazing and psychedelic, and P. Craig Russell's art is stunning absolutely stunning the man is a master if you're at all interested in weird fantasy i insist you go pick this up it's wonderful stuff be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read and tune in to hear more about our thn book club read for august it is the mystery of the meanest teacher a johnny constantine mystery that's right we are doing the john constantine hellblazer all ages graphic novel wow that's because i demanded it you know how i am with young adult fiction excelsior
That is it for THN 629. And next week, I'm going to be out of town. But we will be back with more new comic reviews the week after. And there will be a cover to cover next week. So look forward to that. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show on THN cover to cover every Saturday from 11 o'clock to noon Central Standard Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about our question of the week. Uh, this week's question was inspired by Jim Heavey and massaged into being by Matt Bomb. We want to know the most ridiculous instance of a character suddenly becoming overpowered in a comic, but not using new powers. Using not, not, yeah, not, we're not talking about like he said, like Spider-Man suddenly becomes cosmic or Superman suddenly becomes blue. We're talking about a character doing things that they previously could not do just because the story called for it. Sure. Uh, you know, Jim has several manga examples that you can find on the or, THN fan or page. Or they trained really, really hard and all of a sudden their powers got massive. You know, we call it power leveling in manga. Do we? Yes. It is okay. a thing. Please keep the question of the week suggestions coming. Uh, we do need those often. And we can't always rely on Jim to supply a topic at the last, literally the last minute of the show. Oh, I think we just liked it. We had some other things. Yeah. And it. also, it was the last minute of the show and we took it. Uh, hey, we already have a uh, next question lined up, courtesy of Wooly Toots. So yeah. we're not, no shade, no shade. But yeah, please keep the question of the week suggestions coming. You can send them to us via uh, anything, Facebook, Twitter, the THN forums, email. You can even call the voicemail 402-819-4894 and leave a message there you can also call that hotline or join our zoom by clicking on the link in our facebook live video chat to join cover to cover and if you can't be there live shoot an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com leave a message on the hotline you will be internet famous we promise it's yeah. just going to be a very moderate amount of you just have to get ready for it yeah i mean not everybody's ready for it just just look at just look at tyrese man he didn't think he didn't think it was going to happen for him. Yeah. And so he was like, I better write some comics. Turns out everything was okay. Remember, if you're going to send in your answer via MP3 or voicemail, keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with the live listeners. If you're new to the show and you hate it and you're hoping you can change it by talking a bunch of shit online and hope that Will Smith will pay you to shut up, just like what happened to Tyrese that ended up with him coming back to the Fast and Furious. But she was never going to be gone. Just settle down, Will Smith. Tyrese. Yeah, it was the whole thing. Tyrese is all upset that he wasn't in Hobbs and Shaw. He talked a bunch of smack. Will Smith literally paid him a million dollars to shut up. <laughs> Why Will Smith? Gave him a million bucks. Because Just because he was sick of it? Yeah, he was sick of it. And it, I guess Tyrese wow. was having some money problems. But, you know. Wow. It, boy, to have that kind of I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Posting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. Do you want to thank patrons like Allison York? If I'm counting correctly, we now have three female patrons. That means we have three whole female listeners, and I appreciate that. And we would love well, to hear from you, Allison. The, the last female patron was really more of a one-time donation, so counts. Get out okay. of here. <laughs> I mean, on. she did do it through Patreon, so she gave us money. It's not because she hates us. Right. You know, we're not you're, we're not in it for the money, Matt. Yes, the money just yes, makes we are. It tolerable. That the is money just how makes it tolerable. you show affection by paying someone. <laughs> Before we go, 
Our shout out goes to Bob Odenkirk, who collapsed on the set of Better Call Saul yesterday. He was rushed to the hospital and just now TMZ is reporting that he's awake after suffering a heart related event. Yeah. And now we all know how solid TMZ reporting is uh, in their fact checking. So we are still worried here in the ziggurat and Matt will not be okay if anything happens to the guy. I won't. Uh, I can't lose Bismarcky and I can't lose Bismarcky twice and Bob Odenkirk once in the same way. <laughs> I can't do that. I like I just saw Bob Odenkirk in uh, the movie Nobody and it was a revelation. Like that dude is a treasure. Get well soon, Bob. Word to you. He's in the second season of I Think You Should Leave and he's wonderful there too. <laughs> I'm so sure he good. is. Until next time, true believers, just remember to pre-order your comics or your poor retailer might just have a heart-related event. This is the two-headed nerd. Signing off. <laughs>